Hi, you're listening to WRBH Radio, 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sins. And here in the studio with me today, I have Liz Williams. She is with the National Food and Beverage Foundation and uh, was the president of the Food and Beverage Museum and is enjoying some time writing and sharing all of the things that she knows with the rest of the world. And today we're going to talk a little bit about her book, Unique Eats and Eateries of New Orleans, and uh, a whole bunch of other fun stuff. I hope so, yes. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for coming in the studio today. I know that you are a busy lady. Well, this is always fun. It's always fun to have a good conversation. Yes, and I feel like in life we're not having enough conversations, right? I think you're right, yes. And there's something about food that makes that happen. Yes, even when you're not eating it, even when you're just talking about it. (laughs) I always tell people whenever you can't find anything in common with someone, talk about food because everyone eats, right? That's it, yes. (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit about your book. I I have it in front of me, and you all, it's beautiful, the cover is nice. But what I found most exciting about it was it was very approachable and easy to read and kind of one of those things where I feel like I could sit at the table with a glass of wine, turn a page and go, oh, that's where we're going to go tomorrow. And uh, so many choices of great food and, uh, I mean, unique eateries. Well, that's that's the whole point. And Reedy Press, which is the publisher has a whole series of unique eateries in different cities. So they approached me about writing this one, and I thought, what better place? You know, why isn't there one already? (laughs) Um, So it, it was really a lot of fun, and it made you think about going out to eat a little bit differently. Now, whenever you say unique eateries, what was the criteria that made, I mean, we have what? thousands of restaurants here in New Orleans. How do you determine what is unique? Obviously, that's going to be on a case-by-case basis, (laughs) but I really wanted to be able to talk about an experience of being someplace. And I didn't want them all to be alike. I wanted them to be often in different neighborhoods where the neighborhood is perhaps part of the experience. And I wanted them to be all kinds of different foods so that not everything is a white tablecloth restaurant, not everything is a po' boy restaurant. You know, when somebody asks you what's your favorite restaurant and you just want to go, there's no place I can name. It depends so much on your mood and why you're going out to eat. If I want a seafood po' boy, for example, I might pick a favorite restaurant different from the one where you could get a roast beef po' boy, which might be my favorite roast beef po' boy restaurant. But people don't think that way. They just want there to be some ultimate favorite. And so I tried to keep that in mind when I wrote this book so that it could cover all of those different moods, all of those different reasons to go out to eat. And it's so true. I mean, there's nothing worse than whenever someone comes to town and they look at me and they go, name your three favorite restaurants. And... You kind of freeze up for a second, and then I return it with a question. What do you want to wear? How do you feel? How much do you want to spend? Do you have a car? Are you up for a road trip? (laughs) Like 8 million questions because it truly is. Every place in New Orleans is a different experience. That's right. That's right. And it 
it fits the bill depending on your situation. It's not just the ultimate. And that's what people don't think about. It's like when people ask you, What's where can you get the best gumbo? And you want to say at my house. At my house. <laughs> well, you can't have it because I'm not inviting you, right? But right. that's where you're going to get it. <laughs> well, so talk about some of the places that are in the book and uh, you know what makes them special. You know, as I flip through and I see things like commanders, you know, that's that's what we're thinking about. But then there are places, a cafe at the square that are a little bit not in the common list of places you recommend? So I, I try to think about where you might be, and I think that a place you might be, let's say Cafe at the Square, you, um, you're downtown. And so you want to have the convenience of just being able to pop in somewhere. Um, you might not be super dressed up. Uh, even though you're a downtown, you might not be a person who works downtown. You're walking through downtown for one reason or another. So I thought, you know, this is a place where you can go. You can have a really interesting experience there. You can people watch because of the glass walls. You can talk. I mean, I've seen it happen. People talk to each other at the tables there and things like that. And I just thought, okay, this is a place. The, the food is um, no, it's good enough. Uh, it's not the best food in the world, but it's it's a good place to eat. And it's solid, and you can always expect the same thing and the same quality when you're there. And so, and it's friendly and all of that sort of thing. So I said, this is a place that would be unique. And if it were in another city, it might be, you know, a fine restaurant. But um, here, just because of what we call a fine restaurant, it's it's a good place to go and to know about and not just pass it by because it doesn't have um, a big sign out front or because you don't really think of it as a good place to go. So I tried to keep that in mind. Well, you know, you say the experience of it, the friendly staff making friends with people in the restaurant. And I feel like... Uh, Dining is about the experience. Yes. And even if the food is, if it's good, I, again, I think our, you put our food against other cities where New Orleans is winning hands down, but we have a lot of tough competition. But even, you know, the corner store, it may not have the best pole boy in town, but you go to a corner store and you you talk to the person at the cash register and then you're meeting people and there's something about that experience that kind of balances out everything and makes it great. That's right. Because the best food in the world eaten at a place where you have a bad experience is a bad place. And we all know that. Um, and so it's not all about the food. And that's something that the um, the editors kept reminding me when I was writing this, it's not all about the food. And so, for example, if you're going to go on, um, uh, you want to take an experience going to eat on the river. So, wow, I learned all about calliopes and all right. about, you know, steam and all that kind of stuff. And realize that being able to eat on the river is just a wonderful kind of experience. And so 
um, if you're on the Natchez, it's it's good, you know. And um, it's once again, it's um, often um, like a buffet or something like that. But it's the kind of buffet that you're not embarrassed, to, you know, to serve to somebody or to recommend to somebody. And it's so it's good and. Get the great experience of the Mississippi River and pretend you're Mark Twain or something. (laughs) (laughs) How did you have to change your thought process when you approached this book and the publishers are saying less about the food, more about the space? How how did that feel? What did you have to do to change the way you think or how you focus? Well, I, I have to say I'm glad they did it because it really made me think differently but it was hard, and um, they would sometimes send me a review back and say, you know, we don't need you to list everything on the menu, and um, people are going to go there because they want the experience, they want to go to that part of town or whatever. So I actually had an interesting talk with one of the editors where I said, okay, tell me what you're looking for. You're not from New Orleans, so I know what people in New Orleans expect, and so I want to know what you're looking for. And then all kinds of things came out. I want to know the price point. I want to know where it is and how hard it is to get to. I'm going to want to, I want to know if I'm going to have a story to tell somebody when I've finished eating and I go back home and I can say, I ate at this place. And, you know, it had nets on the wall and, it you know, it did all of these other things or... I could actually see the lake from where I was, or I had never eaten Vietnamese food before, and I actually heard people speaking Vietnamese in the restaurant. So those were the kinds of things I started to think about. And I also started to think about getting people outside of the tourist areas of town. And you'll notice in the back there's actually a neighborhood Um, index where you can look up what's in that neighborhood. And yeah, it's French Quarter heavy because everyone's going to be in the French Quarter probably if they're in town as a visitor. But it still tries to cover parts of the... I mean, I put Rocky and Carlos in there. Yeah. Yeah. And who doesn't want to go to a place where it says ladies invited? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And it's not necessarily easy to get to if you're a tourist or whatever, but it's the kind of place that you'd be happy you went to if you went there. So tell us a story, like, about a, a food experience, like, that you just, you know, if... If we want to go and leave and tell a story after we've dined, is there a place that stands out, maybe not even in the book, just in your your life where you go, this, this was an experience? So this is not a New Orleans restaurant. This is a restaurant um, that was in France in um, a little town called Lille. And it was a three-star Michelin restaurant And I went there for lunch with my husband and another couple. And we got there at 1 o'clock, and we left at 7.30. Oh, wow. And we ordered the the, the tasting menu, but it was not like today's tasting menus. There are like 13 courses or something like that. It was like five courses. And it was unbelievable. And uh, it transformed my idea of not only what good food was, but what a good experience was. 
just to give you a crazy example, all right, I am not a person with a hummingbird um, metabolism. So if I eat too much, it packs on the pounds. But we were with the other couple, the woman had one of those hummingbird metabolisms. I'm jealous. And, oh, <laughs> and she she wound up eating the sauces that we all left in the bottom of our plates because it was classically French with sauces on the bottom of the plate and all that. So we're passing our plates over to her, and she has a big spoon there, and the waiter ran over seeing that she was going to use that same spoon in every every plate to eat all of our sauces. It was not appalled that she's eating the sauces. He's appalled that she's using the same And mixing spoon. the flavors. And so he brings her extra spoons so that she can enjoy this with without mixing anything up. And I thought, this is the right kind of place, you know? <laughs> because in some other place, they might have their nose bent out of shape that you're, like, sopping up all of the sauce. And, oh, they were thrilled that she was happy with it. But they also wanted her to do it right. It, they actually turned the table after every course so that you had a new tablecloth, you had wow. all of that. after, And they did it so unobtrusively that you're just talking and aren't even really aware that it's happened. It was unbelievable. Um, How long ago was this? Oh, gosh. This was in the 70s. See, isn't it great that we're still talking about it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And it became sort of the pinnacle experience. Now, I've had other experiences at starred restaurants since then, even in France. And even though I could say that some of them were also wonderful and whatever, that first time, you never forget that first time that you had that kind of eating. Um, so it's, you know, not in the realm of this book because it's in, it's in France, but it's the kind of thing that you really, really remember. Now I also can tell you a horror story. Yeah. Yeah. This is fun. So <laughs> we don't have to name the restaurant. Well, I'm going to. Uh -oh. <laughs> so, uh, it's probably, um, it was also in the seventies and it was one of the first restaurants outside of New Orleans or Louisiana, let me say where I had gone for fine dining. <clears throat> I was in the Army. I was um, in the JAG Corps. And in those days, the JAG Corps did their basic training in Augusta, Georgia. That was the MP, uh, the military police headquarters. And so because we were officers, we were invited to go to the master's um, country club and eat at the restaurant. And so I thought, well, this will be fun because we'll get to go out to eat and all this sort of thing. So we go there, and I stupidly ordered trout amandine. Uh -oh. And I thought, oh, this will be really great. And so I'm asking the waiter, so is this fresh trout? You know, because I'm thinking this is not a place that has access to water, but they might be lakes or something where this is fresh trout. He says, oh, yes, it's very fresh and, of course, that should have told me something. But anyway, what I got? Fish sticks. Oh, literally frozen fish, fish sticks with chopped almonds on top. That was trout almondine. Oh, my God. That's tragic. I know. And I was looking at it, staring at it, just appalled. 
Oh, and it breaks my heart whenever something doesn't live up to the expectation. And you're like, what was I thinking? Is this my fault for deciding exactly, to come here? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or was this just the worst choice in the world? You know, how could I have known? And I felt like I had even questioned the waiter to kind of make sure. And then, yes, it's very fresh. Well, what does that mean? That you just cooked it? You just took them out of the freezer? What does it mean? How fresh is it? <laughs> it was smack talking you earlier, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is an experience to dine. And there are those little subtle nuances that make places special. I went to a, a, a restaurant in Vegas. It was Joel Robichon. And the, from start to finish, the whole thing was amazing. But I was with my in-laws. We wanted to order wine. We knew it was a very nice restaurant. So we had a reasonable expectation. And I gave the sommelier, you know, between 160 and, you know, 250 because it's Vegas and uh-huh. nothing is $35 right, a bottle. Right. <laughs> and I said, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what chef is sending out and what pairs best. So just use your judgment and pick. And when we got the bill, it was a $65 bottle of wine. It was spectacular. And this was a sommelier who's like, they don't need to spend the money on something that is maybe just over the top because they think that's the right fit. And I will never forget leaving going, they did not take advantage of me. Yes. And they're... Even though everything else in the experience was spectacular, I just left feeling like they were good people. Yes, and they took care of you. Yes. Yes. So I know there are a lot of people that you met in this journey and a lot of great restaurants. There had to have been a few that you just couldn't squeeze in, but they really left a mark on you. Yes, absolutely. So one of them is Melba's. Um, Talk about an experience And that's a place where you can do your laundry and um, just they're open all the time. And I thought all of those things would really be the kind of thing that would make it work. But when you're talking about accessibility to a tourist and some of those kinds of questions, um, and you already had so many in this neighborhood and that neighborhood, I, I wasn't able to put them in. But, you know, it's a place where... You really have a special experience, and I thought it it was the kind of place that would fit in. And, you know, this isn't your first rodeo, this book, and you have, you know, other books out there, one specifically on cocktails. That's right. And then you have the New Orleans Food Biography, which is award-winning. How do these all kind of fit together, and what's your next step? Well, obviously, they're very New Orleans-focused, and so um, it's just partly the area I know, Um, but I'm not really just writing cookbooks. I'm writing about the culture and how food and culture kind of intersect. Um, So right now, I am working on a Creole-Italian book. Oh, yum. And it is going to have lots of recipes, especially as they they illustrate various things about the culture. So I'm half Sicilian, 
And my grandmother came over as an adult during that big wave of Sicilians who came to New Orleans. And so, and I'm old enough to have known her, knew my great-grandmother who also came over and watched, you know, was part of that community, like with one foot. My father was not Sicilian, and so my parents spoke English at home and um, but my mother spoke Sicilian to my grandparents. So I could go in and out from one to the other. And so a lot of this is is not just um, based on research or whatever. It's kind of memoirish to talk about watching the change and the assimilation take place. So if I start with my grandmother or my great-grandmother, who really my gra- grandmother... Um, she she took the principles of cooking that she had, which meant fresh. So she was using ingredients that might not necessarily have been available to her in Sicily, but she was applying techniques and ways of cooking that were very Sicilian. My mother grew up in New Orleans, so she was also eating gumbo and red beans and rice and all of this sort of thing. And my mother could tell the difference, you know, and know the difference between red gravy. There Mm -hmm. was a Creole thing and tomato sauce, which was my grandmother's thing. And my grandmother, for example, would let you put red gravy on a meatball po' boy. She thought that was okay because that was a New Orleans thing. But you could not put it on spaghetti in her house, you know. So she was making, she made those distinctions. So my mother had a lot of those distinctions. And one thing that I see is that my children, who never had the experience of having people speaking Sicilian all around you and all of that kind of stuff, even though they know intellectually that they're part Sicilian, it's like, oh, you know. And my grandmother made those um, Regina cookies, those uh, um, Annie's ones with those um, sesame seeds on the outside. So she would make tons of them every Christmas. And my mother and I would go over and help. Then when my grandmother died, my mother and I did it. And I would bring my kids to do it, too. And they didn't like the flavor because they hadn't grown up with it. They hadn't grown up with with it. it. And so they just didn't want to do it. And they kept, so we often changed to almond flavored just for them. But that it's just, it, it's lost. Right. And I, I'm going to talk about those kinds of things. I love it. And I could sit and talk to you for hours because I feel like, you know, there's so much history in your brain to, you know, that I'm like, I want, I want to know <laughs> all of this because New Orleans is such a special place from its unique eateries to its cocktails to its history and people that, uh, you know, it, it just makes it a special place. What is so special about New Orleans and New Orleans food to you? Uh, well, I guess the thing that I love the most about it is that it is a reflection of a sense of place, which I think is really wonderful, number one. And number two, it's alive. That means that as new people come here and as New Orleans changes with all of the new people, the food changes too. So we we are always conscious of being grounded in tradition and history and whatever, 
but we're not stuck there. We're letting it change and evolve, which keeps the food alive. So that's exciting. You know, and it's, you're so correct in saying it keeps the food alive because I've had people say, oh, well, you know, how do you feel about what is happening currently in New Orleans cuisine? And I have, you know, I have my strong ties to the, to what I consider the roots, you know, what I consider gumbo, what I consider right, jambalaya. Right. And a lot of these things are inspired by that, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But I go, well, how did people feel in 1860 when the Sicilians were here and starting to change things? Were they feeling the same way in that moment that some people are feeling now going, oh, things are changing. They're doing something different and now we look back and we say this is a critical point in our history of food. And who knows, you know, 60, 70 years from now, we may go the last 20 years in New Orleans has been incredibly critical. I, I mean, I think it happens over and over again. Even the Louisiana Purchase and becoming a state meant all these Americans came here and uh, if you read the newspaper of that time, this was like the greatest tragedy that there ever was, you know. And um, but it changed the food, and it. Um, I, I think that every time there's been a big wave of people, it it has changed the food, and I, I do believe that here in New Orleans we tend to say, if it tastes good come sit by me, you know. And so we don't reject you, especially if your food is good. Yes. And so I, I, that part of it, I, I think, is really um, is a really a critical aspect of, of our thinking. And it's a mindset. And that continues. That's not changing, which I think is really good. But you can see where if if you drew a line in the sand and you said, okay, anything that happens after this date in time can is no longer good, you know, and we can only eat this old way, you have killed it. You right. ossified it. And so why do that? Why because we like food too much to do that. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna claim all the good stuff as our own eventually. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well why don't you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, where they can get your books and if you have any signings coming up. Well, um I actually am gonna be signing a book tomorrow um at um the uh, the new international hostel on uh, Canal Street in the evening about uh, six o'clock, and also um, you can learn more from the website of the National Food and Beverage Foundation, which is natfab.org, and also if you go to the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, all of these books are available there. And for our listeners out there, we have been talking to Liz Williams. Make sure you get out there and check out her book, Unique Eats and Eateries of New Orleans. I think it's a great holiday gift for uh, friends out of town who are going to be coming to visit. But I, I, I really see value as a local. And hey, it's let's pick something new. Let's see where we haven't been in a long time and go experience these unique eateries. So thank you so much for joining me today, Liz. Uh, you've been listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sins. Until next time, ciao.